1: Ah, listen to that. Nothing beats a vinyl. Some technology just stands the test of time. Our technology not only brings the cool, it also brings the heat. At Mitsubishi Electric, we've been mastering and innovating heat pump technology since 1970. EcoDan, continued innovation in heating for home and business. Mitsubishi Electric, changes for the better. (laughs)
0: Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Temple.
1: Yeah,
2: the right to remain silent. Violet, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You can't afford one of quarter point one for you. You understand your rights?
0: Your crime spree was over, son. Yeah, you thought you had it,
1: lick. but detective overtone made should have turn to shit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Real life, real crime.
1: Warning. This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that are of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I did not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or from some television show. The facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and today I'm going to be starting, it's not going to be a series, I don't even know, I know it's going to be at least two parts, though. I'm going to call it Padtrax, it's P-A-D-T-R-A-X, and I'll explain that probably on the second episode. But this is different, y'all, and it's unique, but I think it's something that needs to be told. And it's certainly something that's part of true crime in every criminal case. Before I get started, a couple quick shout-outs. I just want to tell you, all you lifers, I love you, thank you, and I appreciate you. We're over 31,000 members now on a private group on Facebook. That's Real Life for Real Crime Friends, Fans, and Crew, K-R-E-W-E. You know, a patron members. Jeez, Louise, I love y'all. Thank you so much, and you know, for your support, I appreciate it. And those of you who continue to take care of your yearly discount uh, on patron members, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't be a patron member? I get it. I love each every one of you, and just please continue to do what you're doing. Y'all are making us go crazy because you, everybody keeps telling other people about us, and it's really helping me grow and making the show below up and i appreciate that stay tuned at the end of today's we'll call it an episode i suppose uh and i'll do all the regular podcast announcer stuff and maybe a couple updates so i I don't have any notes now you know on some of the past stuff you hear me read things and stuff like that i am raw and i'm unscripted i have been wanting to do this probably for months now and then i got involved with the monsters series. And I had no idea it was going to go nine parts, but that was nine hours, you know, of a really, really good story. But in that story, because of that story and because of what supposedly, and I have no direct knowledge was supposedly that female was, you know, telling family members that the evidence was lost and stuff like that. It really supposedly after, uh, she was pardoned. She was telling people that evidence was lost and stuff like that, and I, and I want to talk about that. And that's what I want to bring knowledge and awareness, if you will, about evidence in criminal cases. And I'm going to give you an example of a case that that I worked. And then I want all you lifers out there. I know one of you has had to have. Had a bad experience with evidence in a criminal case, or you know someone who has, then I want you to message me. You can do it directly, or maybe I'll put a post on the crew page or whatever. And I want to start covering some evidence stories because it's so important. But more importantly, I found out how evidence can never get screwed up again and be the law enforcement's. I can't see any type of evidence. The major things can never get screwed up again, and it's an easy, simple solution that will save the taxpayers countless money, and it'll save investigators and district attorneys and all the powers that it be, just tons and tons of time and man hours, et cetera, when it comes to dealing with evidence. So, I'll just get started, and I really just don't have any notes, but... I'm going to tell you a story that happened when I was working. And, you know, I'm not going to say where or anything because it involves another agency. But I was working, let's say, as a criminal investigator and a polygraphist. And I got a call one day from a chief of police. And he said, Hey, got a really bad situation. Can we come in and talk to you? I said, Yeah, sure. So they they came to my office. And he came in and he said, "What?" he said, Look, he said, we have a, a real cluster clusterfuck and going on at my department and he said I don't know what to do he said but you know we need to get to the bottom of it um, and I was well you know tell me what happened but what's going on and he said that he became aware of some evidence issues in his department and he had been becoming aware of it over the course of a year but it, it finally came to a head and so Let me see how I can tell this. Let me me back up. Let me digress for a second. Let me give you the definition. I'm going to read this because I I was trying to figure it out how I want to explain it. Let me tell you what evidence is, first of all. All right. The legal definition or or not even the legal definition, but evidence in criminal cases. Law enforcement officers and prosecutors have a duty to preserve certain kinds of evidence. And it says the government has a duty to preserve a certain types of evidence it collects during a criminal invest or during criminal investigations and prosecutions. This duty exists in order to protect a defendant's rights to due process and a fair trial under the sixth and 14th amendments to the U.S. Constitution. The duty relates to the requirement that the government disclose evidence it will use against the defendant at trial as well as any evidence that that is favorable to the defendant. The duty to preserve evidence begins once any state agency or actor has gathered and taken possession of evidence as part of a criminal investigation. All right, so let me back up. If, let's say I'm working narcotics on the street, and I pull you over, and you're nervous, and your pupils are dilated, or whatever, In, I ask for permission to search, or I go to Pat Frisk or whatever, and I find dope on you. Okay, let's say I find a pocket full of pain pills. Now, in the state of Louisiana, you can certainly be on prescriptions for controlled dangerous substance, whether it's, you know, Adderall or pain pills or whatever it may be. But you have to, if you're transporting it from one location to another, you have to have it in your prescribed bottle, right? Well, let's say I find several baggies of pain pills individually wrapped. For, due to my experience, I would say that's going to be for resale, right? Happen all the time, right? So when I take you, when I place you under arrest for those pills, then I take those pills into evidence. What I would do then—that immediately starts the chain of custody. And you know, I take you to jail, I book you, but I have the evidence with me, right? The the, the pain pills. Then I'm, a, I'm going I'm gonna get a. We used to use, uh, like, the brown manila envelopes, the legal envelopes, right? But you get an evidence sticker, and the evidence stickers are pretty self-explanatory, big black letters, evidence, and then uh, season agency, which means what department you work for, the date, the time, a list of what it is that you think that you took in whatever, the, the, the charge that you charge the person with, the file number, just a bunch of a bunch of stuff that you had to write down on this pain in the ass sticker, right? And then you take the, you have to put the sticker on the envelope. Then you put the evidence in the envelope. Then you have to take evidence tape, which was harder the, to get than water in the desert. You know, they acted like it was gold, and and then it was the worst shit you ever wanted to mess with came on this roll, and you had to peel the tape from its backing, and it crinkled real easy. Well, that's, and, and when it crinkled, it would tear the coloring in it would a tear. So, basically, it, that, that's used for somebody tries to open it. You can, it, you can tell it's been tampered with. But anyway, so you have to seal the whole envelope. You have to seal where it licks and sticks to the, to the envelope. That's got to be sealed, but anywhere there is a corner or anywhere the, where the envelope meets envelope it has got to be covered and then you cover it on the tops and the bottoms down the middle spine at, of the envelope and then everywhere you have a slice of the evidence tape you have to initial half on and half off the evidence tape and why is that because now it's in my custody I'm putting in the custody of this envelope I'm sealing with the evidence tape and then I'm initially now when it's sent off for analysis or uh, that's whatever it may be, maybe a, a knife used for trial, whatever it may be. When they go to open it up, they can tell the chain of custody has not been broken. They have to sign for it, first of all. And and then uh, when they go to open it up, they can tell the chain of custody has not been broken because that tape hasn't been jacked with. Right? So then you have to do. A lab submittal form, going back to these alleged pills. you have to do what they call a lab submittal form. And on the lab submittal form, it's a long, lengthy son of a bitch. But it starts out, the agency, and back then it was in like triplicates, right? The agency, date and time of seizure, who the suspect was, what the charge is, description of the evidence. I mean, it's, it's a long deal. Then the lab submittal part, what it needs to be tested for. I mean, it's just a it's it's a lot of paperwork, y'all. And, and but it has to be done. And once you fill out the lab submittal form and you sign it, you have to turn that in with your piece of evidence. And let's go back to my to my Livingston Paris sheriff's office days. There were two ways you could turn in the evidence. There was a a mailbox, a locked mailbox downstairs in the courthouse in what they called the civil office. That's where the sheriff handle all the civil paperwork, but that was something that was easily accessible to road deputies and narcotics deputies, people worked after hours, they can had the courthouse key they can get in, and they had a key to that office they could get in, and you go to drop your evidence, and it's just like in the other mailbox, right, you open, you drop, and you close it, you can't open that bitch. And, but They had one lady in the detective's office who would go down. I don't know if she went every day or whatever, but when when she would go down, she would had the key to the mailbox. She would open it up, get all the evidence, put it in a big box, take it upstairs to the detective's office. Now, this wasn't her only job. She did everything an officer was to do from scheduling to transcribing the tapes to whatever, but evidence was part of her job. Didn't have a full-time evidence custodian, but she would have to go through this evidence, log into an evidence book that she had received it and then schedule it to go to the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab for processing, okay? And um, back then, the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office had to have an appointment every time they were going to drop off evidence. Well, they dropped off evidence once a week at I think ten o'clock in the morning at the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab, and when I was in detectives, it was just shit luck of the draw, or maybe it was good for you if you weren't busy, or if you just wanted to take a ride for a couple of hours and, and burn uh, burn up your whole morning and eat lunch in Baton Rouge, right? But if you were the detective, you were you know, if she could grab a hold of you that morning and be like, hey, you, you know, do you have anything going on? I need somebody. It's Wednesday. I need somebody to take the evidence, right? So you get this, this big box of evidence. It could be firearms, dope, whatever. You don't know what's in it, but you, you have to sign for it from her, continuing the chain of custody. Sign for it from her. Then you take it to the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab in Baton Rouge. And in, at 10 o'clock, you go, they, they let you in one at a time. And at 10 o'clock, they buzz you in and you go into the secure thing and they have two evidence technicians that would process your evidence. Now, they would take each individual item of evidence out, read the file number, they log it into their system. They go through on the lab submittal forms if if it's narcotics and let's say the deputy didn't sign it or whatever, they refused it. All right. They took you you had to take the evidence back in. Give it back to the lady, reverse the chain of custody, et cetera. You know, if there was any kind of screw ups it had you know they, they would catch it there. they were very meticulous. So anyway, you turn over the evidence to them, then they'd go and, and send it to whatever department needs to go to, whether it's firearms uh, to be tested for ballistics or narcotics and, and what have you. And it's like, who knows how long it's going to take? Who knows how long these different technicians are backed up and, and all that. But, of course, dope would be the most, or narcotics would be the most prominent one or the busiest section, I would believe. Anyway, so you turn it over to them. They take it so they establish a chain of custody. They have it in their lab, right? Well, at some point, you, that, oh, before you leave, they give you your return box evidence. And this may be evidence that's been processed over the last year, year and a half. You don't know how long it's going to take to process each individual piece. But at some point, when your weekly appointment came, you got a box of evidence to take back. Then you took that box of evidence back to her one of many hats she wore, evidence lady, and she would do whatever the hell she did with it, right? Which was, I know like if it was dope reports, they would send it to the district attorney saying, uh, yeah, it was positive for narcotics or green leafy substance or whatever. So that's basically how it works. Now, this this is important. Now, there are no criminal cases that don't involve evidence. All right. And so the chain of custody is everything. The first thing I'm going to attack as a criminal defense attorney is your chain of custody on evidence. Why? Because if you, let's say you charge me for dope and I can prove that the you know the evidence was ever tampered with or chain of custody wasn't maintained in some way it gets thrown out evidence gets thrown out charge gets thrown out same way on any of a shit the, I mean evidence is everything I and mean, I don't think all the true crime fans out there I don't you focus on the blood and the guts and the murder and rapes and stuff like that but everything every crime that's committed there is evidence okay and so evidence probably takes up more time for law enforcement agencies and district attorneys than all the other man hours combined. If you put it together now, now when she gets the evidence back, like I said, she's got to send it to the DA or do whatever. Then part of it's got to go in a vault and some of it may get stored up. And back then for the, the Sheriff's Office, the old evidence room if you will call that was the old jail upstairs. And that's like shit where you send evidence from, you know, I've, I've had to go look for evidence for cases ever coming up in that old jail. And each jail cell was stacked from the floor to the top with boxes and bags full of evidence. And uh, some of them would be labeled well, it would like the months or the years and shit. You had to dig for it in, and, in, and, you didn't want that job, right? Especially during the summertime when there's no AC up there. And you would, it's like being in the attic. And you might look for days for one piece of evidence. So man, hour time is ridiculous. And But the importance of the chain of custody on evidence and being able to show what you did with the evidence, who took it, uh, what that person did with it, and where the process it goes through until it comes back, until it goes to court, and if it doesn't go to court, let's say it's, it's DNA evidence that gets entered in the CODIS or or uh, it's a cold case or whatever it may be, it gets stored. I mean, again, evidence. Shout out to Astropro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
2: My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? Com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Asta Pro and Go.
1: It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation.
2: Sayonara.
1: Sayonara. Is everything now? Let me get a little bit into my story, and then I'll try to explain to you what I'm what I'm getting at. So, back to that time that chief comes in, and, and I'm not gonna say who it is or anything. They came in with one of their people, will say, and he's like, "Look," he said, "I got alerted by the district attorney's office that we have evidence issues." I said, "Okay, tell me what's going on." He said, well, you know, I took chief about a year and a half ago, and he said when we, and theirs was a, was a smaller department, and they had an evidence room, but it really was like a walk-in closet, but only a couple of people had access to it, so just like the lady who had access to the mailbox to try to maintain a chain in custody. But he said that the DA reached out to him it was like, hey, where is... Or not to him, so his uh, department backing up again. There's a lot of assistant DAs, y'all, and and I mean, you may be dealing with four or five different ones just in the in the 21st Judicial, which like in Livingston, then they have ADAs in Tanjipo Parish and, and in St. Helena Parish, et cetera. So there's a bunch of them. So it's not uncommon for you to have a, a different ADA on on. Different cases. It's it's not just one person you're dealing with. But anyway, he said he would. His office was getting calls from different ADAs over the past year and a half, asking about hey, where's the evidence at on this case? Where's the evidence at on this case? And but it was from different ADAs, and he's, and they were asking about it because the person would get arrested, they would get booked in, the evidence would be taken, like I told you, and taken into their evidence locker and supposedly since to the lab and all this and so the person has to make their initial court appearance of course they're going to plead not guilty then they get a like a motions date like three months down the line four months down the line or whatever and generally by that time the evidence has come back the da is able to look at it you know they when they get up there to do the prosecution they're doing like 50 people in a day, right? So they, they're looking at the files. They have the files pooled, but they look at it as they get to it, and they get to it. And the judge says, let's, you know, the state of Louisiana versus whomever, and uh, where we're we at. And the DA w- would look at the, the defense attorney would say, well, Your Honor, we hadn't received confirmation from the, the lab that it was even narcotics. And the DA would look it up and and say, oh, Your Honor, the, the lab report hadn't come back yet, Right. They continue it again, another four or five months, whatever. and comes time for it again, and the DA doesn't know they hadn't, they don't have time to follow up on all that shit, on all these cases. And it would come time for the next motions here, and they could look at it, and and the defense attorney says, "Your Honor, we haven't received anything from the prosecution." And prosecutor is kind of caught off guard. They look in the file. Guess what? We don't have a lawyer sent state police crime lab report saying this was narcotics, right? So they asked for a continuous again. Well, shit, about the fourth time that happens, they're like, you know what, I need to check on this shit because the judge chews them out. And so they call the department and say, hey, I need to know what the status is on this evidence that y'all submitted. So then we get time to time, they get calls like that from different, ADAs and then the same ADAs, and finally one of the district attorneys called up, the chief said, he said, look, she called me personally and was furious and said she would got to continue four times because of the lab results not having come back yet on the evidence. And the judge dismissed the case, threw it out. They said, well, you know what? This is ridiculous. It's been too long. The case is dismissed. And, and the DA was demanding. I mean, that's a, that's a a bad look for them, right? So the DA was demanding, the chief said, I want to know where the hell this evidence report is, and, and we need to make sure this doesn't happen again. Then that ADA went back and started looking at other cases from this department. Guess what? Certain types of narcotic cases she didn't have. She never got a uh, lab submittal back, form back, where the crime lab says it is or isn't. Dope. So he said when she called, she chewed him out about it. He's, he went to look at it, and he pulls the log file from the file number. Now, let's say Officer Joe Blow arrests Tommy Doodoo Head on you know, January the uh, 20th of 2005. Well, anybody that was any evidence that was submitted from January 20th, 2005 to, to February, whatever, to the next um, lab, lab appointment. And for them it would have been, it wouldn't have been every week like it was for the living repair of sheriff's office. Cause it was so much bigger that that all that evidence in, in that period of time, like ours was every week. And then all that evidence that was turned into that evidence locker was submitted to the lab at the same time. He goes and pulls it. And looks and it's it's says on the book that it's been submitted and calls the crime lab. They said, "Nope, don't have that file number." Remember, I told you these these lab technicians at the crime lab—they don't play. And and your shit had to be correct. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It says it was it was sent in the box of, of evidence on such such state, and she said, "I'm telling you, there's no file number in our system of any evidence. There's no." trace of any evidence having been done like that. And he was like, oh shit, man. And so he said he went to the evidence room with another person because you don't want to go in by yourself in in case something happens, right? Chain of custody. Went into the evidence room, starts looking for this one case in particular. And of course it's like any department that doesn't have a full-time evidence technician, even the ones that do, evidence, there's so much evidence they have to dig and they dig. He said we spent four days Woody, four days digging, looking for this one piece of evidence and he said and guess what we found it. The problem was when they found the evidence envelope in the lab submittal form, the lab submittal form was covering it up. It was supposed to have these pain pills in it. They picked up the envelope and it was empty somebody had slit the bottom of the evidence envelope like with a knife and took out, shook out what was inside evidently, right? Well, that's a problem, okay? And that would have been a problem enough if it wasn't just the one case. So now you know you have a problem. You know you have a chain of custody problem. This case is done. It's cooked. And, you know, Joe Doodoo heads walking the streets free. That's not the freaking problem. The problem is now you got to go back and check all your shit. And they did. And he said, we spent the last month and a half going through the evidence room in with like three different people that he could trust. And and he said, we logged in and out and all this, you know, the times and, and all that. And they found a ton of cases that, had acted on the forms that said it had been submitted to the lab. On the book, it said it, they had been submitted to the lab, but they had never been submitted to the lab. And the evidence, when they ended up finding these evidence envelopes in the lab submittal forms, all of them had been cut open. And there was no doubt. And all of them were some type of pain pills, okay? And he said, what do we do? And I said, well, you... You got a clusterfuck house, yeah. I you know, and I had to think about it. I said, "Well, I mean, you know, first of all, we're going to have to look at everybody, you know, who had access, who has keys." And he told me, and and I had to think about it, and 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 I was like, "Well, you know what? I mean, I mean, you're in a real shit show, and and because all these cases are going to get dismissed, and then." You know all your other cases, and that any kind of evidence you've taken in in this time frame is going to get challenged when the defense attorneys find out about it. It could be anything from rape to whatever, and doesn't mean they're going to win. And then the real problem, y'all, you got people who've gone who've gone to prison during this time based off of evidence that was in this freaking evidence room. And the you know I could just envision doors opening all. Of Throughout the Department of Corrections on appeals because somebody was stealing freaking narcotics for uh, pain pills, right? And so I was like, "Shit, man! I mean, this is really, really a, a, a shit show. It's a bad deal." And I said, "Just let me think about it tonight, and and I'll come to your department tomorrow." I said, "I want to see the um, the evidence room, etc." And I did, and I thought about it. it was one of my three or four o'clock in the morning OCD things, and in, in you know, I went over there and I met. What him, I looked at the the system and all that? And look, this evidence room, if you'll call it that, when you, I, you when you walk in, you have you're supposed to log in and you walk in, and it's it's floor to floor to ceiling shelves, uh, a little bit bigger than a walk in closet, I guess. Just stacks. You can't fit any more evidence in the in this thing. I mean, bags and boxes and, and just tons of shit. And I'm like, damn, man. And it reminded me of the old evidence room at the Livingston Parish Jail. Just I mean, well you do. You don't have a, a person that's gonna go in there and organize all that. And then I told him, I said, Hell I'm, you're you lucky you've ever found any of it, he so said, I know, right? We need to do something and and think all the time they spent on it. But so we got his office I said, listen, obviously this is a criminal investigation. I said, but well, we need to do it as discreetly as possible. And then I said, you're going to catch, yeah, I mean, your sugar has turned the shit off. I mean, it, it's going to be a real issue. It's going to get out. And, of course, the the district attorneys are going to have to make people, you know, the defense attorneys aware and stuff like that. I said, I, don't, I can't begin to tell you the repercussions that are going to come back on this. So I said, the only thing we can do is try to figure out who it was, and hopefully get a confession. and, you know, I the rest of the shits on you. I don't know what you you know what you're gonna do. I said obviously from the dates that you have, it started before you got here, before you were elected. And he said, yeah, that's my one saving grace. But so I told him, I said, what I want to do is I want a polygraph. And and then he said, okay, okay, yeah, the the people, um, my people that had the keys to the room. I said, nope. I want to polygraph every swinging dick, Tom and Harry in your whole department. I said, and that includes you. And he looked at me and I said, that's right. I said, if I'm going to work this case, everybody in this department is a suspect, including you. Everybody in this department is a suspect except for me. And and I said, I know, you know, chances are you didn't have anything to do with it. I said, but you may have. I said, shit, I don't know. And he was like, he said, "Dude, how long is that going to take?" I said, "It's going to take a long time. You know, I mean, you're looking at three hours at, at a minimum on the, on the polygraphs for each person." Now, it wasn't that big an apartment. I think of it. I think it was like 33 people total, and that included the reserve officers. And he was like, "Man, man, why you got to polygraph all of them?" I said, "Because if we don't." And we find out who it is. We get a confession. They're going to come back. They can always come back and say, oh, you were picking on me. You had tunnel vision and all that. So we'll tell you about that. Polygraphs on not being admissible in court and all that. Well, fine. Whatever. Okay. But the deal is you cannot force anyone to take a polygraph under the 1988 Employee Polygraph Protection Act Normal, you can' you can't even request your uh, a normal employee to take a polygraph exam. You can tell them about uh, a lost theft situation and say, hey, we have this situation and we're going to bring in polygraphists. Would you be willing to? But you can't you can't demand that they do it. unless the provision under that law that ex- there's a provision under that law that excludes government agencies. I think pharmaceutical companies, you know, police departments, stuff like that. High risk, it, I, I guess you'd call it high risk, not high risk, high security issues, right? And so police departments one. Now, here's the deal. I'm the chief. I can tell Officer James, hey, uh, I need you to show up tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, you're going to do a polygraph for Woody Overton about some missing evidence. Well, Officer James shows up and comes to do the polygraph for me, I go, I go advise him his polygraph rights, et cetera. And he was like, well, you know what? I, I don't want to take it, but the chief said I have to. And uh, so under the 1988 Employee Polygraph Protection Act, normally you wouldn't have to take it. I said, actually, you don't have to take it. Oh, I mean, they've he's ordered you to take the, the test, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, they cannot fire you for failing the test they can fire you for refusing to take it under the 1988 Employee Polygraph Protection Act, the government, the, I forget the term, y'all, the, um, the security threat thing that the employees that can be compelled to take the test uh, It's the craziest thing here. They can be, you, you can order them in certain agencies that you can order the employees to take the test. You cannot fail them. I mean, you can't fire them for failing the test, but you can fire them for refusing to follow the direct order of taking the test. Anyway, so I explained it to him. I said, they, you know, they can come in and if they don't take the test, you, if they refuse to, you can fire them. And I, I said, but you can't fire them for failing the test. And he was like, well, I don't understand. I said, well, you know, where else are you going to go from? So I'm totally going off the top of my head. And I'm telling him, so listen, we got to bring them all in. The word's going to get out. You know, you're going to do a little damage control, but I'm going to start scheduling. And yeah, I think it was like 33 people total. But that's everybody, all. That's from the chief to the secretary to the reserve officers to just anyone. And why is that? Because this evidence room didn't have any type of electronic monitoring on who entered or didn't enter the evidence room. Now, I mean, they didn't have a video camera, right, over the door, which most most places didn't. The Paris Sheriff's Office didn't have that back then. There was no monitoring of it. They didn't have an alarm on it, you know. So the the deal is I'm pretty good at, at, Picking door locks with credit cards. I mean, I can do it, right? And so, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, what, what if it really wasn't someone who actually had key access? And, and so, I wanted to test everybody. Like I said, everybody's going to be a suspect except for me. So, if it was, I'm just thinking outside the box at three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, mm, I got to test everybody because it could have been somebody who has knowledge on how to pick a lock uh, uh, to get into the door. But the, the key factors that we had going were pain pills, all right? And, and so, let me tell you about that. The best people in the world develop bad addictions, okay? I mean, you could be the, the holiest, whatever. You know what I mean best Christian or best human being, the best moral person in the world, and unfortunately... Even those people develop addictions, whether it's they get into a car wreck and prescribe these pain pills and that's what helps them get through the day and then, you know, they get off, doctor says they're healed. Well, guess what? They still have a physical addiction to the pain pills. And we tell you something, pain pills are, are, are probably worse than any other narcotic out there. And that's where the big problem with heroin Comes in today is it, it before it was heroin, it was Oxycontins or Roxy's on the street, and that Roxy's or Oxy's were a pain pill, right? And a, a severe pain pill, yeah, but they were very, very expensive, and that's where all the doctor shopping and all that came in and these pill clinics. Well, guess what happened when the government shuts those down? Or uh, people began to find out that heroin gave the same high but much more intense but much cheaper And a bad thing about heroin is and the reason we're in the, you know, when we talk about COVID being an epidemic and talk to the people who work the street about heroin and how many overdoses they're working a day. And it's just bad shit. So pain pills, you know, because it causes a physical sickness when you, when you don't have them in your system, it actually causes your body to get sick and, and the, you know, throw ups and shitting on yourself and, you know, shakes, whatever, you, you know, fevers, whatever, it, it, it's there. That's a real, that's a real deal. I mean, it doesn't, but again, the best people in the world, I, I can almost say through no fault of their own, start on these things and then spiral out of control with it, right? So I figure that's, you know, this person, there wasn't any money missing right? There's no money missing. There's no firearms missing. I mean, they had to inventory all that shit in that room. And I mean, uh, you know, 12, 14 hours a day for a month and a half, however long, however many, man hours that is. And how many, what hundreds of thousands of dollars probably that they, that department had to spend on that. But all the other shit wasn't missing. So in my mind, you know, this person's got a serious addiction to pain pills and why wasn't the cocaine missing or the
2: ecstasy? Or Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to BadlandsFood.com R-L-R-C and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S. F-O-O-D dot com slash R-L-R-C. Hey, y'all. My wife's biggest struggle this past year was fighting the symptoms associated with menopause, hot flashes, mild mood swings, and sleeplessness. She had them all until she tried Hormone Harmony. R L R C at checkout. That's HappyMammoth.com and use the code R L R C for 15% off today.
1: The uh, weed, right? Cause they weren't using it. And so I'm thinking I'm looking for someone who has a pain pill addiction. And probably I'm thinking um, him as an investigator that probably it is going to be somebody who has access to, to the room. I mean, because most people don't know how to pick doors and stuff like that. But I, I told him, the chief, I said, listen, I want them all, and we can start scheduling. I said, I, did, I want the people who actually have access by key. I said, first of all, you need to take all the keys and change the keys, and nobody gets in it except for you or one other person. Y'all go in together at a time from now on to correct this while we, we conduct this investigation so and, then, and of course they had done that already when they found out the shit show it was and so i said i want the people who actually have access or had access to it to come last now y'all you don't get access to the evidence room and and have the trust placing in you in the evidence room to go in and handle that kind of stuff unless your way up there, okay? And there were only a couple of people who had access to the evidence room, and the problem was, and it wasn't a problem for me, the problem for them was I knew them all, and I had worked with them over the years, and now it's going to be investigating them from a criminal standpoint, and the problem for them is they knew... I was going to get the juice, right? So, I mean, it's just, it was kind of a bad deal, especially when, you know, you're going to be testing. I, a lot of them I didn't know, but the the ones that actually had the access, these are people I can't say that I just came up with. At some point in time in my career, as I developed my career, I knew them. I had worked with them, whether it's on a standoff or a manhunt or, Whatever, I'd see him in court. And I mean, I'm talking about you put your lives in these people's hands and in uh, the, them and, and yours. And now I have to investigate them from a criminal standpoint. And one of the questions I got last week on the Ask Me Anything episodes somebody asked me, Did I ever have to investigate uh, one of my friends or coworkers? And I, I had said no other than on a few occasions uh, where I had to arrest a cop for whatever. But I, I really wasn't thinking about this, y'all. It, but So this was one, and it wasn't going to be easy, but it is what it is. So they started setting up the appointments, In I scheduled four a day. And under Louisiana law, polygraph law, and yes, there are polygraph laws that the, the polygraphists have to follow, they generally don't want you to test. I mean, four a day is, is like, really pushing it. And the American Polygraph Association guidelines and Police Polygraph Association guidelines, I mean, mean, you just don't do. I think four a day really is frowned upon, to be honest with you. I think three a day is enough because you as an examiner, polygraph examiner, you have to be sharp and you have to get through the process. And I want to explain the process and we're probably going to run out of time for this week. The process is first person comes in and I greet them. Tell them who I am, tell them to have a seat. And the first thing I do is advise them of their Miranda rights. And y'all know what they are, but I have them, I read them the Miranda rights, not under arrest, but I wanna question you about missing evidence from the evidence room at your department, right? So I have them initial every line, sign it that, that they understand the rights. Well, fuck, they understand the rights of police officers. And, but then I, the consented question hey I was doing it all legal. you know why because I never knew when some jackass was just gonna just throw up a confession on my desk and, and I'm like oh shit they, they like the um, uh, David Constance case when uh, Christina Constance came back and Tina said uh, these ladies need to talk to the detective if you have a minute and, and I didn't and, but I took him back there and her friend said she, oh, she wants to tell you something but she doesn't really want to get in trouble and I was like okay go ahead and she said, "My husband is making me have, um, made me have sex with his 16 year old nephew." I'm thinking, mm, you know, general Livingston Parish bullshit, right? And and then in the same, the next breath, she says, "And he makes me mm, my own sons." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, stop, 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 Miranda!" So anyway, that's that's why I did it. Even though they were cops, I am randizing because I just never knew what somebody was going to tell me. So I him, consent to questioning. Hey, they didn't have to say shit, right? Even police officers, it, it, I mean, you have police officers bill of rights. I mean, they have their own right not to say uh, to incriminate themselves. So I get that, and then I get into polygraph rights. Yeah, the, you know, the polygraph, there would be no surprise questions. I, I'm going to summarize it for you. Something like, you know, the, the, the process would be explained to me. There would be no surprise questions. I don't have to answer any questions. I don't want to. And stop the polygraph examination anytime that I want to. Blah 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 blah. And under Louisiana law, you have to give the polygraphist permission to actually administer the test to you. All right. So that was the next step. And then once you get on past polygraph rights, then you go into the medical questionnaire. Now the medical questionnaire covers everything from. Uh, what type of medicine you're on? How much? How many hours did you sleep last night? When was the last time you ate? Have you had any major injury or surgeries in the last six months? Yeah, you know, if you have, I mean, it's, shit, it's a, it's like going to your fucking doctor's office and filling out the thing ahead of time. Have you ever had this, this, and this, and this, whatever, right? So, when we complete the medical part, this, the polygraph test, complete the medical part, the polygraphist then has to. To make a determination as to whether or not the examinee is mentally, mentally and physically fit to sit and answer the questions for the examination, right, or, or sit through the polygraph test. And hey, some people weren't. Some people were jacked up. I sent. Well, I'll get into it next week because I'm running out of time. That the some people are not when, when they appear. And I learned it after. Uh, the case, the, the false positive case where they had to, that uh, poor girl up for, you know, well over between her going to work the day and then being kidnapped and held overnight. And they had her up all day. The FBI question or shit and then bring her to me 48 hours later. I shouldn't have done that test. Right. But I was a, rook, a rookie. I wasn't a rookie this time. And so I get them through the medical part, uh, determine whether or not they're mentally and physically able to take the test. And boom. Then I go into the reason that we're there and I'm gonna say, hey, you know, I always on this case I s on everyone I'ma say, look, you know, obviously you're here because they had some evidence issues at your department and I would say, I want you to tell me everything that you know about this from A to Z, paint it paint it like a movie for me, right? Act like I know nothing and I would kick back. And I would listen to them, and some of them didn't know Dick. I mean, they didn't. They were like, "I don't really know." I heard a rumor that some evidence was missing from the room, you know. And I would ask them, "Well, have you ever been in the evidence room, whatever?" You know, just general questions, picking their brain as to their knowledge of the situation. And the, then once they completed it and we got done talking about the issue, and I said, "Well, look, now we need to make up the relevant questions for the test." In the relevant questions for this are simple i said they're really really easy it's just going to be you know i think i think i used two questions that uh, uh, you faced but it was did you slice open any of those evidence envelopes in the evidence room no and i think the other one was did you take any of that missing evidence from the evidence room at your police department and i define that question as any of the missing evidence i would come back and tell them i said listen now, there are pain pills narcotics that are missing in x amount or of cases uh, uh envelopes were sliced open you know and that's the first relevant question did you slice it open any of those evidence envelopes no and second question was, did you take any of that missing evidence from those envelopes that were sliced open in your evidence room? No. Boom. Easy. Easy peasy, right? Then I have, you know, the, the rest of the questions developed, which are irrelevant questions and, or control questions or direct allies, whatever the hell you want to call them. doesn't matter, but those had to be worked in. Then you give them a full explanation of how the polygraph works in once all that's done i would i would attach them to the instrument and run a practice or an acquaintance test in which i'll have them lie to me on one out of eight questions i wouldn't know which question it is they chose to lie about at the end of that test i would tell them to say i would tell them to answer no to every question including the questions that they were going to lie about and at the end of the test i would tell them which question it was that they were lying about and it always gave them the the eye factor if you will right when they, and when i told them, oh, you were lying about and as soon as I I could watch it. Ask ask questions, y'all. I said, you know, did you do such and such? And when it came their question, I I would hit it right. Their their physiological responses would hit up and blow up. And at the end of the test, and I would say, as soon as I turned it off, I said, the uh, test is now complete. Please remain still. Twenty five seconds. Turn the instrument off. And I say, okay, you were lying about question such such. And they go, boom, eyes pop open. And I would say, guess what? If I can catch you lying. About something that's irrelevant like this that I actually told you to pick one of these questions to lie to me about I said and but I, I told you how your body responds your physiology inside of your body responds when you lie I said if 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 I could pick get your question on something that's irrelevant to you like that that I, a direct lie I told you to lie to me about I said what's it going to look like when you lie to me or if you are going to lie to me on these relevant questions about the evidence being missing. And when you know you got criminal charges and everything else coming down the line. So that that's called setting their psychological set. And at that point they're holy shit. And they're, they got all the stuff attached to them and they were, uh, boom. And then once I knew I had their psychological set, correct, I would then do the tests and I'm going to stop it now. Cause I'm pushing an hour so definitely going to continue into it next week. I'm going to tell you what happened in this case. It's crazy, all right. And and then I want I'm going to tell you what happened in this case next week. And then I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you about another case that is even more shocking, and it has to deal deal with a, a rape. In, that a guy is or yeah, still is doing life for an aggravated rape but it's evidence issues on this and I'm gonna tell you about that and then then I'm gonna tell you how all this shit can be fixed. And and it's it absolutely blew my mind when I found out the systems and the technique that can come up to solve all this. All these man hours, all this chain of custody, all this stuff is is now easily fixable and has been fixed in many departments uh, around the United States. And we'll go into that later on. So I'm stopping uh, right there for today. Now, updates. And y'all, I know this is outside norm, right? I mean, this this episode, but I think it's so important. I think you're going to find it very interesting when you find out what happened in this case and the rape case I'm going to tell you about and how to fix it. All right, now I'm stopping it. Uh, Courtney Coco, you know it, John Bell Edwards, uh, March 1st before they can have another grand jury in the state of Louisiana because of COVID, man, I'm so fucking tired of of that. But, and then every time I get that and I look at her picture on my bedside and in my truck and I, and I get a little bit discouraged about it and I think about it and I'm like, you know what, how dare I get discouraged? When that family has been dealing with it for 16 yeah. years, 16 years. I've been dealing with it for a couple, you know? And and so that makes me, it doesn't make me any less mad, but I guess may, um buys me a little bit more patience. But y'all just hang in there and keep praying. I think you're going to hear some things that are going to be interesting soon. Miss Barbara Blunt's case, please, please, please call in your tips. And it, yes, it's the height of COVID, right? And yes, the difference is uh, again on. I think to paper out. The difference again on on Courtney's and Miss Barbara Blunt's is Miss Barbara Blunt's has a professional law enforcement agency, Sheriff Jason Nard and Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office that want to solve this crime. And they're working with me, not against me. So, the justice for Barbara Blunt. The hotline tip line is 225-395-1302. Local advertisers. I'm gonna say this again. Y'all, we're doing it for all these national companies, and and, and I I'm not, I'm not complaining. Uh, uh, you know, patron members don't have to listen to the commercials. I'm not complaining. I, I know I'm blessed to have podcast that has such a following that we can, you know, make some of the money on the commercials. But I would rather the commercials benefit local businesses. I'm all about support local. So if you want to advertise, we have the sky is the limit on it. I mean, uh, everything from social media to public appearances to, you know, especially after COVID to, to, the podcast commercials, whatever. Remember we're open to anything and and we're, we're working with uh, with some local companies now and and that's pretty cool. So y'all, if you have a local business and you want to blow us up and we have all the demographics and the, and the big package that goes with it that we had to submit for the national companies. I think you'd be very surprised if you saw the numbers because the lifers rock lifers rule. I do hashtag lifers rule and they are the best fans in the world. So follow me on Instagram at real life, real crime or at Overton Woody patron or you want to be a patron or find out about it. Go to patreoncom slash real life, real crime. And again, they, they have that deal. We just started offering like a month or so ago, two months free with the annual membership and and y'all blowing that up. And I appreciate it. Facebook y'all, we have all the different Facebook pages. Real Life Real Crime Lanyapp page. You can go there. I think it has four or five thousand members. You can go there and post anything you want. If you're alive, life, you got to be admitted to the group, but you can go there and post anything you want. Like uh, if you, you know, if you sell stuff or or recipes or whatever the hell, anything that's not true crime related, go to the Real Life Real Crime Lanyapp page and join you. That's a lot of cool stuff in there, y'all. And go check it out. And our dream team moderators will get you approved to there or the real life, real crime friends, fans and crew page. Um, you have to be admitted to that. That is strictly true crime related unless I make an exception. That page, y'all, is just really interesting. Uh, you know, I interact with everybody on it, but there's a lot of stuff that's on there and it's not for the faint of heart. So, oh, on, y'all, I've been maxed out on my friends on my regular page on on Facebook forever, it's it's, it's at five thousand members, uh, and Facebook cuts me off at of that. So I get friend requests every single day, I like a lot of them. And and I'm I'm telling y'all, I can't when you send those, I can't even I can't even respond to it. I can't accept it. It says you yeah, you have past five thousand members. So I have the regular Real Life Real Crime page, or you can email me Woody at real life real crime or whatever, right? So I guess that's it. I'm gonna get off the high horse for today. Not the high horse, but all this podcast stuff. And, and I know I'm over an hour now. But uh, LOPA, I always end with this LOPA, the Louisiana Oregon Procurement Agency. And I started this new thing last week. I have a map of the world with all these countries. I, I mean, so many pins and um, all these countries across the world. I pick a different one. It doesn't matter if you're from Louisiana. And you want to be a an organ donor, you know, the you could be from anywhere in the world, basically, you go to lopa dot org and sign up to be an organ donor. Be a hero, give the gift of life. And let's say one of our two or listeners in Myanmar, M Y A N M A R, whoever you are, I'm sure it's only one or two of you. Y'all you could go there. Y'all could go to Lopa. You don't have to be from Louisiana to do it. It is my passion, and I'm going to be doing some Lopa stories in the future on, on homicides and, and how their organs save lives. So that's it. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder you. Peace.
2: Oh, oh, oh. Get ready, you're gonna do time. Oh,
1: oh,
2: oh. Real life, real crime.
0: Real life, real crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Temple.